for everybody that, that does stuff throughout the week. There's a lot of things that go on uh, throughout the week, and so very thankful for everyone that has a part to play. Uh, and when some people are missing, you then immediately realize, wow, I really, we really like having them around. And so uh, just continue to pray for Chuck and Patty. Uh, they're out sick, and so be in prayer for them. And the Davises are out sick, and a whole bunch of people. So let's just continue to keep them in prayer. Also, uh, I got some uh, news from Bahit. Just wanted to share this quickly. We had been praying for a... Uh, for a group of believers who were uh, kicked out of their village because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they'd been living in the jungle for a couple months. And we've been praying for them and protection for them. And uh, got a huge answer of prayer this week as I was talking with Pastor Bahit in India. Uh, there, were some, uh, there was some new government involved in that village, and they are now welcome back into the village and able to live in the village back in their homes. So huge answer to prayer. And uh, it, it's, it's always amazing to me how the spirit of the Lord works on people's hearts. And how he gives people strength to stand for the Lord in times like that. And so here was a group of young believers that stood for the Lord. And that is all glory and praise to him. And he answered the prayer. And their strength to stand strong was because of his work on them. But let's go ahead and let's pray. And then we'll spend a little bit of time in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us there. Dear gracious Father, we come before you. We thank you so very much for this opportunity we have to open up your word. To look at the things that are found in your word. And we just pray that as we think about some of the principles found here, that your spirit would be working in our heart, that you would be uh, exposing to us our sin, uh, that we may repent of it, that your spirit would encourage us where we need to be encouraged to continue to live for your son. And we just pray that this would be a good time of fellowship with each other and with you as we look into your word, be with me, give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I may present the truth here accurately. We're so very thankful that you take care of us and that you provide for us. And uh, we are so very thankful that you not only take care of us, but you take care of our brothers and sisters all around the world. And so we just continue to thank you and praise you for your provision and all that you've done. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen. So uh, this past week, something happened that happens every day, and it's not extraordinary, but I never know how to answer it, even though I get asked every day. I come home, and Krista will say, hey, hon, how was your day? Did you get a lot done? And I just don't know how to answer that. Uh, Sometimes I'm very envious of people who have jobs like building fences and houses and you know there's like a definite project that can be done because you know when that's done right you know when a house is built you know when a fence is built and I I say to Krista well how do I know when a sermon is built right when is a sermon done there's never enough time for it to be done I I, you know I'll meet people for lunch and I'll, and I'll I'll be texting and calling people throughout the day busy busy stuff right helping people encouraging people 
yeah, I got a lot done, I guess, but I can't really tell you what I did, but I was busy all day and I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I got a lot done. And, and every day as I come home from work, I, 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 I pray to the Lord, Lord, did I do what you wanted me to do today? With all the opportunities you gave me, did I do what I was supposed to? Did I put in a good, decent day's work? I think it's important for us as believers to ask that question, that I put in a decent day's work. But as we've been looking in the book of Proverbs here in chapter 20, we've been talking about leadership. And it's also very important for leaders to ask the question, did I put in a decent day's work? Now, I know that since we've been doing this leadership uh, series, many people have thought, well, I'm not a leader and remember the first week, I, I gave out a couple principles about leadership. And the first principle that I gave is everyone is a leader in different times and in different aspects in their life. So at any given time, any one of us is a leader. Regardless of how big that sphere of influence is or how small it is, there's a time where we're a leader, right? All the men are leaders of their family. Uh, all the mothers are leaders of their children, right? Even amongst children, there's times where different children lead other children. You might be in, in a job or in a club or whatever it may be. There's always a time where we are leaders. So every single one in this room is a leader to some aspect. It's also true that every single one of us is a follower. That's also another thing that we need to remember. We all are followers. We all follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we need to develop leadership when we have influence over people to lead them to the right place, which is Jesus. But we need to remember that the best leaders are really those who are the best followers. Jesus in the gospel repeatedly said, those who we think are first are actually going to be last. And those who are last are going to be first. Right? Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to give my life as a ransom for many. Uh, Jesus, in uh, the night in which he was betrayed, remember, one of the first things he did was he got down into servants' clothes, got down and washed everybody's feet, and he says, I did this as an example. So here's, here's a person, Jesus, who's the, the ultimate leader, and yet he also is a follower of God's will and doing God's will. So we, we kind of live in this world where at, one, at some points we're leaders, but we're always followers, and it's always important that leaders always know exactly where you're going. You have to be leading somebody somewhere. And as Christian leaders, we're always leading people towards Christ, right? That is, that is our primary objective, Christ. We want everybody that we're, that's under us to be like Christ. Paul argues in Colossians, he says, I, I, I work hard, I agonize, and I struggle that I may complete everyone in Christ, so for the uh, two weeks ago, we, we talked about wise leadership, and we pointed out so far two things in leadership. This morning, we're going to look at another thing, but we pointed out that a wise leader is going to deal with sin, right? In Proverbs 20, we said that a wise leader is going to deal with sin. He's going to be gracious. He's going to, he's going to want to remove sin from his camp, but he also realizes the daunting task of his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of everybody around him. And so a wise leader is always going to point to Jesus to help deal with that sin issue. We also said that a wise leader is one who has discernment. 
that ability to determine what is right, what is wrong, that ability to see truth from error, and that ability to choose the right course of action with the right attitude, with the right words, at the right time, for the right motivation, right? That's discernment, right? Today, we're going to talk about a wise leader puts in a decent day's work. So go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 20. We're going to be in verse 13, Proverbs 20, verse 13. Lord willing, we'll go from verse 13 to 17. And there's three things I want you to see from this text. The first thing is this, is in verse 13 of Proverbs 20, we're going to see that a wise leader puts in a decent day's work by being productive. We're going to talk about production. What does it mean to be productive? And I guarantee you being productive is not getting a task finished, though that may be part of productivity. But as a Christian, we have a different standard of productivity. The second thing is that a wise leader, when he puts in a decent day's work, he's going to conduct business ethically. We're going to see that in verse 14. So 13, we're going to see being productive. Verse 14, we're going to see business ethics. And then in 15 through 17, we're going to see that a wise leader puts in a decent hard day's work, a decent day's work by valuing the right thing. When we get there, we're going to see that there might be somebody who has good leadership traits, is able to lead people towards uh, a, accomplishing a task, inspire people to do that task, and all that they're doing is the wrong thing. Just remember this. There are gang leaders who are good leaders in the sense that they have good leadership technique. That doesn't mean that they're wise leaders. doesn't mean that they're godly leaders. So just because you have some leadership qualities doesn't mean that that's a good leader because their values are off. And what they're having people go towards is the wrong thing. Therefore, we would, we would argue they, they may be charismatic, but they're not good leaders. They might be good quali- uh, with, with leadership skills, but they're leading people the wrong way. Therefore, they're, they're bad. So three things. Verse 13, be productive. Verse 14, business ethics, right? They have business ethics. And then 15 through 17, we see that they value the right thing. So let's look first at this first one in verse 13, Proverbs 20, 13, where a wise leader puts in a decent day's work by being productive. And notice what Solomon says here. He says, love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread kind of interesting when he says love not sleep this is a deep affection for uh, a deep uh, uh, affinity towards uh, really liking and it says love not sleep now I I gotta be honest uh, with Sophia in the house and then with uh, all the other kids there are moments where we get a sleep and that is awesome and I love that sleep And my wife would like more sleep, but I have a CPAP machine on, and I can't hear the kids when they scream on purpose. CPAP machine. It's not saying, it's not saying that we shouldn't enjoy a good nap, right? It's not saying that on Sunday afternoon we all take a nap, and how dare you? You need to be out working. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying don't be a hyper worker 
and that there's no balance between working and self taking care of yourself and not getting burned out and, and realizing that there's other things to life other than am I punching the clock and doing all of these things. What he's talking about here is someone who loves rest and relaxation, that loves vacationing, that loves a spiritual dullness, that would rather sleep all the time and have fun all the time and do all these other activities which are pampering and relaxing rather than fulfilling your responsibilities. So what we're talking about here is he's saying, don't go to this one extreme of loving rest, of loving relaxation, to the point that that's all that life is about. When do I get to do my next relaxing thing? When do I get to have that next time off, right? Even to the point, we could even argue that this might even happen to the point where somebody would rather stay in bed and rather do stuff at home when they're able to go out and get a job and should be doing a job, right? That, that, that would be included here. So when we think about a, a leader, and in the context, remember, in verse, uh, in, in verse 8 and some of those above, and, and at the end of this, this is talking about a wise king, right? So the king is in mind here. And if you read through the book of First Chronicles and First, first and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, you'll see a lot of kings that loved luxury, that's what they did. They didn't work hard. They weren't, they weren't trying to say, how can, we, how can I have a country and, and how can I govern in a way that's pleasing to the Lord according to God's law? It was, I love the luxury of a king. I love, I love the fact that I just have this constant stream of money coming and I'm not really doing anything for that money. It's just coming in. And so there's this idea of just entitlement, Right? So, so in one sense, we could also look at it in that of saying, imagine an, an older king saying to a young prince, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't love sleep. You shouldn't love this rest and relaxation. And he says, notice what happens if you do, because if you like that stuff and that's all you do and you don't do your responsibilities, he says, lest you come to poverty, lest you lose everything kind of interesting uh, when I think of the New Testament. Paul says something very close to this in 2 Thessalonians. He says to anybody, if you are not willing to work, you should not eat. And the principle is not if somebody's hurt and is unable to work, then they don't get to eat and that the church shouldn't take care of them. The sense is that we get from 1 Thessalonians is that there were people who had a theological persuasion that Jesus' return was imminent. We all have that. Jesus is coming back at any time. And so because they did that, because they said that, they said, well, then why do I have to go out and get a job? If Jesus could come back right now, why should I work? Right? Why should I go out and do stuff? Why should I go out and mend a fence? What does it matter? It's all going to burn. So I'm just going to sit at home and pray because that's what the Lord would want because he's coming back and I got to be ready and I'm not going to do any of this stuff. But guess what happens? At the end of the day, it's mealtime. They didn't work. They don't have any money. So what do they do? Well, my Christian brothers and sisters went out and worked today, and they also have food. So I'm going to go knock on their door and say, hey, Christian brother, you should be Christianly and love me and feed me. And they did that every 
day. And so the Apostle Paul says, nah, that ain't happening. It's good to expect the coming of the Lord, but, but if you're not willing to work, then you don't get to eat. That, that, you, you don't get to do that, okay? So here, Solomon is saying something else. Look, if, you, if you're not going to work, guess what? All money that you did have saved or that you might have and all the property that you do have, it's going to be gone, and, and you're going to be living with nothing. And then notice what he says next. He says, open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. This isn't some sort of magic formula that if you're asleep and then you open up your eyes and all of a sudden food appears uh, like a big smorgasbord, though that would be awesome. Um, really, when he says open your eyes, it's almost, it, it's tied to the, the verse right above it, right, in verse 12. So in verse 12 it says, the hearing ear and the seeing eye the Lord has made both of them. This, this is an aspect of discernment, of seeing what is right, hearing what is right, and deciding to choose the right way. So an, the opening of the eye gives the poetic sense of somebody who has discernment, right? So it's, so it's somebody who's closed, and they're closed off to discernment. They just love being pampered. They're not going to go to work. They love when everybody feeds them. And Solomon is saying, get discernment, choose the right thing, choose the right thing based off of wisdom, and when you choose the right thing, there's going to be this productivity, right? That's what he's saying. And so the idea is working hard, yes, but working with discernment. That is far more important than working hard. Uh, when I was in Idaho, a lot, a lot of logging happened there, and there was a lot of logging stories that would happen. There was the famous cautionary tale of the one guy who got the new axe and went out and started chopping down trees. And the first day, he chopped down a lot of trees. The second day, less trees. The other day, less trees. So he thought, well, I don't know what's happening. So he wakes up earlier, stays later, is working harder, harder, harder. And he goes to an older logger and says, why is it that at the beginning of the week, I was able to chop down so many trees with less effort, and then throughout the week, I work harder, longer hours and not chopping down less trees. And the old logger said, well, you probably should have sharpened your axe. It got dull. And so the idea is discernment, right? That's the idea. Discern, discern, have wisdom, see what's going on. Work in a way that's discerning. Yes, work hard, but work hard according to the principles of discernment. That's the idea here. And the idea is work towards the things that are worthy working towards, right? It's possible for us to be very busy with stuff that doesn't really matter, right? Uh, it's, it's possible for us to fill a lot of time doing a lot of things that, that really don't end up with any great value, but we've done it with great vigor. So productivity, the question is, what does it mean to be productive as a believer? I would say, yes, of course it means that you're able to provide for your family, you're able to eat, you're able to provide for yourself. Yes, that would also, yes that, that's, that's included, But spiritually speaking, the development of spiritual character is far more productive than other things. Yes, we need jobs. Yes, we need money. Yes, you need to provide for your family. That's part of being productive, okay? There is some sort of, we we, we need to do that as believers. We need to work hard at our job, and we need to work not only just to our earthly bosses, but as to the Lord, But if that is all we're doing, is just providing a paycheck, 
providing food, providing a house, and that's all it is, then we have failed. Because leadership says, I want you to be like Jesus. I realize that you need to be alive as well, right? I love you, I want to provide for you. That's an important thing. But the goal is to be like Jesus. And there's a passage that I, that I think is really crucial here in talking about productivity. It's found in Colossians. Go with me quickly to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, and notice, notice what he says here in verse 10. Kind of an interesting section here from verse 3 uh, down to verse 12. Uh, you, you see the Apostle Paul as he's praying for this church in Colossae. And uh, I think this is a great model prayer for us as believers of how we should be praying for one another. The first part is praying and praising the Lord for all of the things that the Lord has done in a person's life up until that point. <clears throat> and sometimes when we pray for people, we, we often just go to all the problems that they have and, Lord, help them with this problem, help them with that problem, help them with this, help them with that. Sometimes we say, Lord, they don't know they have a problem. Will you please expose that problem to them because it's really annoying me. Um, fix them. And, and, and obviously we need to be praying for people if they're suffering, if they're hurting, uh, but, but there also needs to be an equal amount of time of thanking the Lord, right? And the Apostle Paul does a lot of that. He just is very thankful for what the Lord has done in their life, very thankful for them, you know, uh, very thankful for all of the stuff that the Lord is doing throughout the world, but specifically them. And then, and then in verse 9, he then switches from praising to, to making requests. Notice what he says in verse 9 of Colossians 1. He says, and so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the end goal, all right? To walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And then notice what he says, fully pleasing to him, right? That's the goal of the believer, to walk in a way that's worthy a manner that's worthy, that's fully pleasing to the Lord, okay? To be a productive Christian is to do this. And then notice what the Apostle Paul prays. He prays and he uses four participles of what this looks like to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, to be fully pleasing. Notice the first thing that he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Notice he doesn't pray, have a lot of good works. Go out and do a lot of good things. It's that it's bearing fruit in those good works, it implies the Holy Spirit yielding, on the, yielding upon the Holy Spirit. And as you are walking and as you're doing what the Lord has for you in the various different opportunities he gives you, as you're doing those good works by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's fruit that is coming out of those good works. It's not just change their behavior, Jesus. It's I'm praying that you will walk by the power of the Spirit and as you walk by the power of the Spirit, those things that you are doing, which are good works, are, are from the fruit of the Spirit. And it's obvious that that's what's happening. And, and, it, and it's impacting and influencing other people. Other people are seeing it, right? They're seeing the love, joy, uh, peace, patience, goodness in your life, self-control. Then notice the next principle or participle. He says, an increasing 
in the knowledge of God. So if I'm going to walk in a way that's worthy, I'm going to be bearing fruit. I'm going to be doing good works, that walking by the power of the Spirit who's producing those. Then second, there's going to be this increasing in my knowledge of God. I'm going to, I'm going to know him more and more each day, right? And then notice what he says next. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That's the third principle of of walking with the Lord. So the first is bearing fruit. The second is increasing in in knowledge of God, uh, spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer, knowing him more and more. The other thing is this relying upon God's divine strength so that we can have endurance and patience, so that we we can continue living for the Lord, And we continue to live for the Lord when things are tough. We continue to live for the Lord when things are great, when things are mundane. And and as the Lord is is working on us, we have this this patience, this contentment, and we're full of joy, right? That's what it means to be pleasing. This this, this is productiveness as a believer. At the end of the day, when I say, did I put in a good day's work is this the stuff that's coming out of my life? Is this the stuff that I'm yielding to the Spirit? And these are the things that are seen because this is what's fully pleasing to the Lord. And then notice verse 12. It says, And giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So it's a, it's a, it's a heart of thankfulness. It's a heart of joy. It's a heart of endurance. It's a heart that's uh, enamored with the person of God. It's, it's, a, it's a heart that's yielding to the spirit and 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 as he's yielding and as they're yielding to the spirit they're 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 producing the fruit of the spirit this is a productive christian this this is what this looks like by the way notice that a lot of these things that he's praying for the believer themselves do not do them right so so that you're being strengthened you're increasing you're bearing fruit he didn't say, go do this, 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 this. These are things that are happening because of the work of Christ, to the work of the Spirit, and the work of God in your life. Really, the only thing that, that you would say that the believer could do would be giving thanks, and even that is a product of the Holy Spirit working on your life. This is productivity, right? So as a leader, a wise leader, when I'm looking, how can I be productive? It's this, these things. This is what productiveness looks like, right? Of course, I provided for my family. Of course, I did those, those responsibilities. But these things as well, right? Now, let's go back to Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20. Nurse, notice verse 14. Notice what it says in verse 14. It says... Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, he boasts. Now, if you've ever worked retail, you look at this and you go, yep, I've met that guy. (laughs) I I know that guy. So basically what you have here in this verse is you have a person who comes to buy, and as they're buying, they're in the marketplace, they're looking at a product and they're saying, ah, this is bad, this is worthless, this is worthless. You're charging way too much for this. This is completely worthless. And then, and then when the guy's like, okay, well, I'll sell it to you at a discount. Deal. I'll take it. And then when he walks away saying, got him. 
I totally pulled one over on that guy. I told him it was bad, that it wasn't worth what it was worth, and then I paid for it at that price after I, you know, whittled him down all the way here. Man, that guy's such a loser. Look what I got. I got something that's very valuable at half the price. In fact, in fact, there's probably even times where you might even hear this. You might even look at this. You might even applaud the guy like, wow, you, you're better at this game than I am. You're able to buy something that is perfectly fine, but able to spend a discounted price on it. Wow. And sometimes we look at leaders who are able to do that and we go, well, that's good leadership. Somebody who's able to get everything we need and still come in under budget. Great guy. But to the wise, you immediately look at this and go, yeah, but this guy lied. This guy lied. He was dishonest. He was unethical. He, he knew it was okay. But he said it wasn't. He knew what it was worth. But he didn't pay that. He whittled the guy down. What's amazing to me is how many times this verse is used in systematic theologies. You wouldn't imagine that this verse would be used often, but it is. And a lot of people have written about this verse on business ethics. In fact, there's even something like Thomas Aquinas talks about this verse. And he even says, he even says, there's even people who are willing to whittle people down, pay a price that they know isn't fair. They don't necessarily lie, but they, they do all these maneuvers to pay a price that isn't fair, that, that doesn't adequately describe the value of the thing they're buying, nor the work that was put into it. They willfully do that and hurt the other person, knowing that they might benefit from this. I think Solomon would say that is not good. As believers, we should not be like this. We should not be known as those people who are always trying to get an angle to get something for less money. We shouldn't be known as those types of people. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to haggle. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if something's not worth something, not paying extra money for something that's not worth there. But what I am saying is this, is that we as Christians need to be honorable and honest we need to be humble and honest. That's very important for us. I have a couple friends who are contractors. They're flooring contractors. And uh, what's amazing to me is how every time that they work for a Christian, they hate it. They said, I'd, ra- I'd rather work for somebody that's not a Christian. I'd rather do a job that's not a Christian. There's numerous times where I've been on the job or I've heard the stories or I've seen how people talked. And, and Christians are notorious for um, coming up to, to, a, to a guy and, and saying, what, how much will you charge for this floor, for example? And the price will be quoted to say, that's okay. That's okay. But, you know, I am a Christian. Doesn't that, doesn't that mean something? Doesn't that mean something? And so these people will say out of the, they feel kind of guilted into charging full price to a Christian, so they'll offer a Christian price. 
So they'll knock the price down. Then, when, the, then when, they, when they start doing the work, the Christian will come by and say, well, can't you just do this? Can't you do that? Can't you do this? And they'll say, well, that'll be more. Ah, oh, come on. I'm your brother. I'm your Christian brother. Come on. Whittles it down more. And then, and then when they get the bill, two things will happen. Either they will fight every single line item saying that wasn't done properly. That wasn't done properly. That wasn't done properly. I need a refund here. I need a refund here. Or what they'll do is they'll break something and say, the job's not finished, I'm not paying. This happens all the time to these guys. I use that as an example to say, we shouldn't even be named among that. We should be the ones that if a job is done right and the job is quoted and it's a fair price for what you're getting, then you should pay it no qualms. That, that brother and sister who did that job, they also need to pay for food for their family. And you should pay them a fair price. A wise leader is not going to be one that's going to try to lie, cheat, steal, pay for something, purposely try to whittle down the price so that you're paying, more, you're paying less for them what something is worth, right? As Christians, we need to be ethical, honest, and humble. Now, notice the next verse. A, a, a Christian leader also has the right values. Notice what it says. It says, there is gold and abundance of costly stones of ornaments, right? So it says, look, if there's a lot of gold, a lot of riches, he says, but lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Here's here's the parallelism. Compare, if you compare the two, if you compare Scrooge McDuck swimming in a pool of golden coins with all sorts of money and all sorts of jewels and pearls on one hand, and then lips that talk about God and how to know God, the one clearly outweighs the other. One is far superior the one that the lips that know God. A wise leader puts the appropriate value on things. A Christian will look at knowing God and say, that is hands down the most important thing in my life, to knowing God. Nothing else even comes close. There's no monetary thing in this world that comes close to the value of knowing God. And then you think about lips that talk about how to, how to know God and as a wise leader leads people towards knowledge of God, oh, that's far better. So, so a wise leader goes, well, if that's better, then those are the things that we're going to pursue, right? I'm going to pursue the things which are leading towards knowledge of God. Now, some may choose the other, and Solomon gives an example. Notice the example of those who choose the other, who say, no, I think I value money uh, above knowledge of God. Notice the next verse. In verse 16, it says, Take a man's garment, and when he puts up security for a stranger, and hold it in a pledge when he puts up security for a foreigner. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth is full of gravel or sand. So notice the first example in verse 16. Solomon has mentioned numerous times in this, in this book about the dangers of frivolous loans. 
to not be a part of them, to not be one that takes out frivolous loans, but definitely do not be one who gives out frivolous loans. And, and the sense you get from verse 16 is, you are not really smart if you do a favor for a fool that you don't know and say, you know what, I'm going to give you this money. You swear to pay me back? Great. You're out that money. That's not being a good steward of what God's given us. In fact, it would be far better just to give it as a gift. I don't even expect this back. But even then, you might even question, is it smart to give a fool money? Somebody's going to spend it on sin? Wouldn't it be far better to buy the resources they need and give it to them? At least then that way they'll eat. And so here, it's even questioning, what kind of wise guy would put himself in a situation where he's giving out these loans to people who are strangers and foreigners? Now, this word for stranger would mean somebody from a different country, yes. But it could mean one who's a stranger to the covenant of God. And that word foreign, we've seen this word before when it was talking about prostitutes. A strange and foreign woman, right? Don't, don't get involved with a strange and foreign woman. It doesn't mean don't, don't find a wife that's not born in the United States. It means somebody who is a prostitute, who, who, who leans that way. And so you see somebody who is, who is living in overt sin. Is it really a good idea to be in a business giving out loans to those types of people? Is that wisdom? And if you do that, please make sure that you protect yourself. But the sense would be, if you're in that, that's not a good, that's not a good thing to be in. It's not a good place to be in. And, and then notice this in verse 17. If you value money, you're going to put yourself in stupid situations where you're going to be financially culpable for a lot of things. But you might also say, okay, well, if I value things more than God then what's stopping me from stealing? Or what's stopping me from going to a marketplace and saying, this bread has mold on it. You should sell this moldy bread to me at such a price when there's no mold on it. So, so when you get into your car, when you get home, notice what it says. It says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, right? It's one of those things that it's the moment you take a bite of it, you go... Pulled one over on him. But then, just imagine this image. It says, but afterwards, his mouth will be filled with gravel. Literally the word for sand. So, yeah, you might do it. You might pull it over on somebody. And as you're eating that bread, the first taste is really good. And then as you continue to chew, then it turns into sand. I'm just going to take a quick poll by raise of hand. How many people love and enjoy the eating of sand? It's amazing. Nobody. Why? It's gross, right? There's a lot of dirt in it. It's gross. Probably doesn't do wonders for your teeth. Has no taste. Probably doesn't feel good in your stomach, right? The whole process is probably the worst process. Imagine a mouth full of sand. That, that's the image Solomon goes. Yeah, it might initially be good. Sin initially feels good. But the back end is far worse than you could ever imagine. So a wise leader knows that, and he puts the right priority on, okay, getting things is not the value. That's not the value we're moving towards. We're moving towards knowledge of God. So the advice that I would give for every single one of us is this. First, as believers, we need to make sure that we are discerning 
and that we have a good discerning work ethic. We should be controlled by the Spirit, which has self-control. We should have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. When we walk on, because we're yielding to the Spirit, we should be a good worker. We should do what we say we're going to do. We should put in the hours we say we're going to put in. Right? That's a good thing. As believers, we need to do that. And if you're in a leadership position, it is also important, not only just to lead by example, but just, just the things that are needed for leadership. Don't coast because there's other people that can do things. You also work hard. I think another thing that's really important is that we as believers develop good business dealings. Like I said, I don't think it's wrong to haggle over a price. I don't think it's wrong to be a good shopper, to go, well, Walmart has this at this price, but Fred Myers has this at this price. I'm going to go to this one. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong when you're deceitful. There is something wrong when you are willfully trying to whittle down the price that's not fair to the other person. Because you've got to remember that other person has to eat as well. That other person has a life as well. And sometimes as Christians, when we are pay a fair price, that testimony rings out. When we are good customers and people enjoy having us as customers, that is a good testimony for believers. I also think this. As believers, when we're, when we're leading, we need to make sure that we have the right values. We need to make sure that our value is knowledge of God. That's, that's the thing that's the most important. There's some other secondary important things. Yeah, it's important that these people have money for their, so, so that their kids can eat. But the matrix by which I say, is this a decent work day? Was, was it one that honored and glorified God? Was it one that promoted the knowledge of God? Was it one where, yeah, I worked hard and, and yeah, I was able to provide for my family, but Did I also have lips that shed the knowledge of God? Did I talk with somebody about God and and, and, and do we have a deep conversation about what what does it mean to live for him? Did Did I have a deep conversation with somebody about Jesus Christ and the gospel? Or did I talk to somebody about the the concept of grace or truth or, or some of these things? I think a wise leader is constantly looking for opportunities to say, here's the right value. This is where we're going. We're going towards knowing God more. That's the right value. That's what I think a wise leader does. So as we've seen over the past couple weeks, a wise leader is one who deals with sin, not only in their life but in others, calls people to repentance. It's one who's discerning, who who relies upon the power of the Spirit to see what's right, what's wrong, truth, error, what's the right way to navigate through these things. But it's also one who works hard and puts in a decent day's work. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's close in a word of prayer.